Hi, and welcome to the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. Just checking to see if I'm on mute here. Wanted to make sure the sound was working. Uh, my name is Sebastian Richard, and I'll be your host tonight. Elizabeth is not with me tonight. She's busy with uh, technical work that needs to get done for our upgraded website that's going to be uh, coming soon. So if you're listening to me on Facebook, I say hi to you. If you're listening to me on YouTube, hello. Thanks for watching. Make sure you subscribe to our channel. And if you're listening to us on podcast, well, welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. We're glad to have you with us. So tonight I'm going to be talking about three things that the devil will always fight you for. Okay, three things the devil will always try to make sure that he hinders and stops in your life. You probably have a good clue as to what those things are. I mean, there's I could have said five things, I could have said six things, but I I, I really decided to stop on the three main things that I believe are the three main things anyway. So as you know, we're disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus Christ, and the word disciple comes from, uh, is, is a the same root word that we get from discipline, disciple, discipline. So as disciples, we are called to live a disciplined life. And Jesus Christ gave us a pretty good idea as to what a disciplined life is, obviously through his example of what he did every day, the way he conducted uh, conducted himself. Uh, we, we read from the gospel, uh, all the gospels, plural, all kinds of things that Jesus did. We know he prayed in the morning. We know he prayed in the evening. Uh, we know he was a, a, a Torah follower. In other words, he obeyed the Torah. Uh, he, he was very, very disciplined himself. He was able to fast for 40 days. That just gives you an idea of how disciplined you have to be for that. So we know that he was the ultimate disciplined life. And Jesus, when he uh, basically told us, here's what I expect of you. Well, that's found in Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Here's what he says. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. He who doesn't take his cross and follow me isn't worthy of me. He who seeks his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, we don't hear many sermons about that particular passage because it, it, it carries a lot of weight. And uh, it's the type of, of uh, passage that if you, if you were to enter, let's say you're a non-believer, you enter a search, uh, a, a search, you enter a church, and the pastor happens to be preaching on that particular passage, and you still don't know Jesus, you're probably going to be like, well, I don't know if I want to know Jesus after that. You're probably going to want to hit the back door because you're going to be like, man, it's too demanding to be a believer. And you know what? There is a price tag. There is a cost. Jesus Christ made that very clear, uh, that there's a huge cost in following him, but that uh, the reward is worth it. The reward is more than worth it. And those who've been following Christ know this. I know this, and I'm sure listeners, you know this as well. So as disciplined disciples, we need to implement some habits in our walk with God. Now, habits are not always easy to develop. And this is where I'm going with this. Discipline means that you're going to develop good habits. A, good, like a disciplined life is composed of many different habits. And for years in the personal growth industry, it was believed 
that to forge a new habit or to develop a discipline or a habit, you all you needed was to do it for 21 days. Uh, I know when I entered the, the personal growth arena, uh, maybe over a little over six, seven years ago now, uh, I uh, I heard this quite a few times. All you need is 21 days of consistently doing that thing, and you're going to see after 21 days, you will have developed a habit. Well, now uh, scientists, researchers are finding that this isn't uh, so much the case. So it might work for some individuals if they implement if they implement the new habit a certain way. So they might be able to crunch it into 21 days. But for other people, it takes longer than that. So uh, the scientific studies that I'm going to share with you come from a, uh, a researcher, Philippa Lally, a health psychology researcher at the University College London. He said that a new habit usually takes a little more than two months, 66 days to be exact, and as much as 254 days until it's fully formed. So that's more like 21 weeks. It's more than 21 days. Like we used to be told, oh, 21 days, you'll see you'll get the new habit going. It's more like 21 weeks. So, but regardless whether it's 21 days, 61 days or 21 weeks, uh, forging a new habit will require discipline and it's a marathon. It's not a race. It's not a sprint. So you have to be consistent day in and day out in order for that uh, new habit, that discipline to be forged, to be, uh, uh, to be a part, an integral part of your life, of your way of life. So it's not rocket science. You know that in Christianity, when you're a believer, you have to forge good habits. Certain good habits come with avoidance, but you can't just avoid things. You have to replace them with good things. So obviously, if you, you come to Christ, you're going to realize that uh, the more you, you read Scripture, the more you want to align yourself with what the, the Word of God says, you're going to find that there's things that uh, are said that we should do. And there's things that we, that are, we are told that we should forego. But it's not that easily done, right? You don't you don't just stop doing things and replace them with nothing. Remember the, the saying, idle hands are the devil's playground. Well, it's kind of true. In other words, you have to be proactive. You have to do things, so do positive things in order to replace the other things you used to do. For example, I'll give you an example. Let's say uh, your habit uh, used to be you, you get home from work, you eat supper, and then for three straight hours, you watch TV or four straight hours or five straight hours, you watch TV. Well, you can replace that habit with say, you know what, from now on, I'm going to watch only one hour of TV and I'm going to take two hours that I'm going to do something else. It could be start working on your business, another hour, for example, one hour, I start working on a side hustle. The other hour, I'll, uh, I'll read the Bible and I'll study the Bible or I'll listen to some sermons on YouTube. There's so many good teachings, good teachers who have YouTube channels. We are blessed today in this day and age. We have a smorgasbord of choice when it comes to developing our mind, developing our soul, our spirit. You just go on YouTube and you can find my channel and be blessed that way. Or you can find other channels. That's fine too. The point is we, we are blessed because we have so much variety. And yet it's funny because... The more we seem to have, the less disciplined we seem to be in uh, developing those good things. Like the more um, I once heard someone say, uh, the, 
the more the Bible is translated, the less it is read. Well, it, this can be said of so many other things. I mean, the more we have videos on YouTube, it seems the less good content we consume. Uh, same thing when you have cable. You have cable. Well, it's, you know, there's Discovery Channel. There's uh, some good documentary channels, but people seem to want to watch sitcoms or things like that. So it's not because we have a variety that we're necessarily going to make the right choices. So as for the three habits that the devil will fight you the most on or the most about, well, you know, if, if you've been walking with Christ for some time, you probably have a really good idea what these are. Number one, reading and studying the Bible. Obviously, it's uh, when we're a new believer, we're so hungry for the word of God, so hungry for the word of God. And it's so much fun to delve in, dive in and, and, and enjoy this because everything's new. But after a few years of doing that, after a while, what can have what can end up happening is what Shakespeare said: familiarity breeds contempt. And I'm not saying we develop contempt for the Word of God. I hope that's not your case. That's not my case. But the point is, eventually, we may uh, come too acquainted with it and be like, "Oh yeah, I remember reading that." You know, you read through it and you're like, "Oh yeah, I remember that said. I remember that passage." Kind of skip through it a little faster. Uh, get a little, a little more, a little less excited about the thing because it's not new anymore. So you have this familiarity with it. You can quote from the scriptures. You, When you come to a, a certain passage, you recognize where this is going because you've read it before. But that way, when we develop that kind of attitude towards the word of God, we miss out on all the hidden gems because the word of God constantly renews itself if we give it a chance. But to give it a chance we need to develop the habit of delving deep into it daily. And that's what the devil's going to do. He's going to start playing with your mind, start telling you that you already know this, that you've read this, that you don't have time. Oh, it doesn't matter if I skip today. It doesn't matter if I skip tomorrow. I'm too busy. I have this. I have that. And then you start making excuses in your own life. And eventually you realize that you, you've been neglectful of feeding yourself with the word of God. And the word of God uh, is new every morning. It renews itself if you give it the chance. But to give it the chance, you have to develop the habit of going through it, going in it every day. And I'm not saying you necessarily uh, need a Bible reading regimen. I know there's all these, uh, these wonderful uh, tools that we have that uh, can enable you to read the Bible in a year. I know I've done that uh, before and it was, uh, it was an experience, but I didn't get from my reading as much as I should have back then because it was very mechanical. So I, I, I kind of like challenged myself. I want to get through the Bible in a year. So I did the readings. I didn't always appreciate the readings though. I didn't always appreciate them. So I prefer uh, um, a more, um, how can I say the free approach when it comes to maybe going book by book, maybe saying like, you know what, I'm going to start going in the book of Matthew or in the book of Daniel. And you start delving deep in one particular book and just systematically studying that book chapter by chapter by chapter until you're done that book. And then you can like, well, you don't cross it off your list, obviously, because you're going to get back to it later. But the point is you say, okay, you know, I've read Daniel. I've studied it. I, I learned this. I learned that. And it was wonderful. Now I'm going to read Isaiah or, or Mark, the Gospel of Mark or the Epistle of uh, Second Corinthians. That doesn't really matter. The point is, I, I like the, the book by book approach. Now, there's also the, uh, the, the, 
the open and click, open, uh, open and point <laughs> kind of reading. Some people do that. They, they like just going in the morning, just like opening the Bible anywhere. And wherever it falls, you start reading. And God can have some really amazing surprises when you do it that way as well. Uh, I found in my life sometimes uh, God really wanted to speak to me. And it just so, ha just so happened when I would open the Bible, boom, a verse would jump off the page and hit me right here and right there. And it would actually help me to change my life. It would, it would be so convicting. So that's another way to, of doing it. But the point is, the devil will do everything in his power to try to prevent you from opening that book. He hates it when we open that book, when we study the book, when we learn from that book, when we're open to revelation from God in that book. So you know that you know this, I know this. Uh, so obviously that's one thing that the devil does. That's gonna he's gonna fight you about. It's one of the disciplines, one of the things that he's gonna fight you very, very tooth and nail to prevent you from doing is reading the Bible. The second thing you probably know this as well: prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession. Uh, when you're not used to praying, ten minutes can seem like a really, really long time to pray. If if you've noticed. Uh, we don't, uh, th this is something that we need to discipline ourselves to do. I remember the account in, uh, in the Gospels where Jesus is on the eve of his crucifixion and he calls to himself, Peter, uh, James, and John and says, come guys, come with me. Uh, he was, he was very um, troubled. His soul was troubled. He needed his friends with him to, to support him in prayer and they fell asleep. And Jesus said, man, you couldn't even pray with me one hour. It's like, that must have been so discouraging for the Lord because although they didn't fully understand what he was going through that night, he knew what he was going through. He knew was what, what, what was going to happen the next day. And there's his uh, three best friends on earth, his three best uh, top disciples, I guess you could say. And they couldn't even pray with him for one hour. They just fell asleep. And uh, you know we're we're no better. I mean, I know I'm no better. Uh, when it's time to pray, sometimes I, I really struggle and the enemy will really come in. When we start praying and interceding, that's when the enemy really comes in and, 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 and it, he's going to give you all kinds of thoughts that are, are shifting you away from what you're actually doing, from the focus you're supposed to have in the prayer time, the, the, the deep relationship, that deep moment with God. He's going to make you think about, oh, yeah, I need to pay that bill. Or, oh, what am I going to do later today? I'm going to do this. And he's going to make you think about a ton of things that are unrelated to what you're actually doing right now. And to that, we kind of hear the Lord lamenting and saying, you couldn't even stay one hour with me. And that it is oftentimes it's the case. And, and I'm guilty of that. And maybe some of you are too. And if you're not, if you're one of those believers who is seasoned, who is able to pray for two, three, four, five, six hours a day, fantastic, wonderful. And the fruit of that effort uh, really shows. I mean, we know that in the gospels, I think it was, it was in the gospel of Luke, uh, it says the disciples that, that like Jesus prayed afar, he, he went and he went off to pray, and they kind of saw him. And when he came back, they said, Hey, teach us to pray. <laughs> Did you notice they didn't ask, they didn't say, Lord, teach us to cast out demons, or Lord, teach us to walk on water, teach us to raise the dead. That's not what they asked. They said, Lord, teach us to pray, because they noticed they had been walking with the master for a while, and they noticed that well, Jesus spends an hour, two, three in the morning, an hour, two, three in the evening praying. And then he goes out among the crowd and he heals a blind man. It takes three minutes. 
uh, he, he casts out demons. It takes two, mi two minutes. So, okay, three hours of prayer, two minutes casting out the demons. They were not the best at math, but they were good enough to know that he got his power from his prayer time. And they were like, Lord, teach us to pray. And then he gave them the model prayer, the building blocks of prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer, which we uh, we know and love, but we often take for granted. There's a, there's a teaching I built a, a little while back. I didn't share it with you guys, but uh, I might I might eventually share it. Um, I shared it in India. I was on a broadcast in India, and I shared it there. I, I know they appreciated it. It was about the uh, the Lord's Prayer. So I basically took every single sentence of the Lord's Prayer, and I delved deep into what what this opened up when you actually take the time to pray that prayer, make it a daily uh, endeavor to pray through what is said in the Lord's Prayer, because like I said, it's a, like they're building blocks of prayer. So they're adaptive. They can adapt to anybody's life in certain uh, ways. You you make it your own. Like they say uh, in American Idol, when someone sings someone else's song, they say, you took it and you made it your own. Well, that's kind of what Jesus intended when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. He wanted us to take that prayer and make it our own, depending on our lives, on, on what our needs are, what we're going through, what we uh, we need to accomplish our purpose on the earth to uh, to further the God's kingdom. We're supposed to take that prayer and and and, and make tweaks to it and and speak it forth in a way that's going to really really uh, be very powerful. So I did that, and I might share it with you guys later. So uh, so when the three disciples. I went with Jesus and they fell asleep. Jesus said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. And, and prayer is something that the devil uses. He's going to attack our flesh. He's going to make us, he's going to make our minds wander. Uh, he's going to make it, some, sometimes you get sleepy. Uh, man, I was surprised one day. I was, uh, I, was in, I was in prayer, not just one day. It happened more than once. But when you, when I pray, for some reason, I get groggy. Get like, why am I so sleepy? Well, that's a demonic attack. You have to cast it out. You have to uh, command it to leave you in Jesus' name because uh, he's going to do all kinds of things. And that's what probably would have happened to those uh, disciples. But it was nighttime. So for them, they had a better excuse. Me, it was uh, smack dab in the middle of the afternoon. So, yeah, sometimes I do take a nap in the afternoon. But that was not one of those times when I should have. You know, it was, a, it was an okay day. I didn't overexert myself or any or anything so i knew something else was going on in the spiritual realm that i needed to uh, to bind and cast out so prayer and intercession the devil will fight you very very badly over this okay so number one bible reading and bible study by the way i didn't say this in number one but studying the bible not just reading the bible but studying it's always good to have a good study bible you have the notes at the bottom of the page that explain the passages more in depth. Uh, sometimes a good Bible dictionary will help you. If there's a word that you want to know more about, you, you open up that Bible dictionary. There's uh, commentaries. I love commentaries. They're awesome. So sometimes there's a an excerpt. You're like, hmm, I wonder what was meant through that. And then you can open a couple of commentaries or, or better yet, just go on uh, um there are so many good uh, websites for that, uh, Bible study tools and all that, that you can get commentaries on certain passages. I mean, we're so lucky with the Internet today. We have access to so many things that 
uh, in yesterday's uh, time we needed to open book after book after book to find out more now you just click of a mouse click of a mouse you just enter a couple of words on google and boom the, pa the passage appears it's just fantastic for research so the number three thing so number one bible reading and study the devil will fight you on that very hard he will also fight you for number two prayer and intercession he doesn't want us to do that you know this if you've been walking with the lord you know this i'm not teaching you any anything any big revelation but the third one might surprise you the third one might surprise you i know many of you might be thinking well going to church yeah going to church yeah he might fight you for that but you know what satan goes to church sometimes too i know i'm saying this and it might shock some of you but uh yeah, uh, there's, uh, you know, Satan can go to church. Satan sometimes will will enjoy going to church and walking through the aisles and and uh, playing with people's minds while the sermon is being uh, preached. And uh, he does all kinds of things. The demons, they they they, they don't uh, they can be very present in churches. I've heard stories that were very troubling uh, about uh, church and uh, the, the appearances of uh, evil spirits and all that in church services. So. So don't kid yourself, okay? Now, I think what he's going to try to stop you from doing, the third one, is something that most believers don't even do. Uh, it's something that actually I found out a couple of years ago that I should be doing and that ever since I found it, ever since I found out and I've been trying to practice it, I've noticed just how hard the devil fights us, me, both me and my wife, when we try to do that thing. And that third thing is decreeing and declaring decreeing and declaring so a decree for those of you guys who might not be familiar with that is an order usually usually having the force of law a foreordaining will and as an example they say god's decree so a decree bears within itself the rule of law and the authority from the person by whom it is spoken. It doesn't carry any inherent power unless it is spoken by someone who has authority. Therefore, usually a decree will be spoken by a monarch, by an emperor, by a king. It is the official word of a ruler which is then binding to the kingdom that he rules. And then it becomes law for its citizen. This is why the word of God is so powerful. You see, the word of God is the word of a king. God is king. And whatever a king decrees becomes law in the kingdom that he rules. So as believers, we know that since God is king over all, we know that his word is law everywhere. It makes sense, doesn't it? So a decree bears great authority. Jesus said in John 12, verses 49 and 50, I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. So in essence, what Jesus said then, he said that uh, 
He only spoke the words that God told him to speak. The words of Jesus were the words that he heard from God. And these words had great authority. This is why oftentimes when Jesus spoke and the Pharisees heard him and the other people heard him, they were astonished because they, he spoke with great authority. Well, why is that? He spoke on behalf of God. He spoke the words of God. So if this was good for Jesus, isn't it? shouldn't it be good for us as well? Absolutely. You better believe it. And you're going to realize just how good it is for you. Once you start decreeing and declaring in your own life, you're going to see uh, fantastic answers to prayer manifest, uh, fantastic moves of God come upon you, upon your family. It's going to be fantastic. Jesus decreed constantly throughout his ministry because he spoke from the authority of the Father and only the words he heard from the Father. So speaking out loud the words of God or speaking declarations based on the word of God is what decreeing is all about. And it's what Jesus did. Now, in turn, Jesus gave us, he gave us the authority to go with decreeing and declaring. He said in Luke 10, 19, he said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And in Matthew 18, 18, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So in, in the earth realm, Jesus came and gave us back the authority that we had lost in Adam. So he gave us back the authority, he gave us back the dominion, and that authority is expressed through our words, through our decrees. When our words align with the words of God, when we take the words of God, and speak them forth, we make the words of God our own, that is when the words of God go the words of God go out and they will accomplish the purpose for which they were sent. So in daily practice, we should use our God-given tongues both to decree and declare God's promises over our lives and over the lives of our loved ones through our out loud intercession. So when a kingdom citizen decrees a thing, he basically reiterates out loud the promises and the words of the king over his life. So for I'll give you an example, okay? If I say out loud the, the following scripture every day, which is Philippians 4.19, if I say this out loud every day, my God shall supply all my need according, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What I'm doing is I'm indeed decreeing the word of God because it is the word of God, albeit adapted in the first person, it is still a decree. Using our tongue to decree God's word is very powerful. That's when we become partners with the king in making his word of great effect in the earth realm. So this is what he meant in Isaiah 55, 11, when God said, so shall my word that go out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper 
in the thing whereunto I sent it. That's Isaiah 55, 11. So that's a decree. A decree is basically taking the words of the king that bears so much authority and speaking them out yourself is a powerful thing. Now, a declaration is a little bit different. A declaration is an adaptation of God's truth that I say out loud. It's still good, though. For example, if I were to say out loud the following, because God loves me, he sends angels to protect me and brings me in the path of prosperity. If I say this every day, what I am saying, what I'm declaring is a kingdom truth, even though it is not necessarily a kingdom uh, decree, a kingdom law, the, the very word. They are, all, they are still truth and the declaration is still uh, good and of great effect. Now, whether you decide to decree a thing over your life, use the exact words of God, or, or whether you decide to declare a thing over your life, the results will bless you and they will empower you powerfully. And the devil knows that. And and it's, I actually, I know for a fact that he's been uh, fighting believers for a very long time when it comes to reading the Bible and studying the Bible. We've known, we've looked at that. When it comes to praying and interceding, we know that for a fact as well. But in many, many denominations, we are not aware that one of the things he fears the most is when a believer understands his or her authority and uses it to decree the word of God constantly every day. And trust me, when you understand this and when you understand how powerful it is, how potent it is, and you begin Implementing it in your own life every single day. Oh, you're going to see, man, the battle is going to escalate. And he, you're going to see very clearly that the devil hates that. He's going to do everything that he usually does for the previous two points, the Bible reading and studying and uh, the prayer and intercession. He's going to give you just as big a fight when it comes to decreeing and declaring. So those are the three disciplines that the devil will fight you tooth and nail over. Those are the three things, the three disciplines that he doesn't want the disciples of Christ to develop. So now we're getting to a place where you're like, okay, all right, Sebastian, you told us about the three disciplines, and that's great, and, and I thank you for that. But how do we develop disciplines? How do we develop habits of doing these things every day, because that's the challenge, right? It's doing them consistently every day. That's when it bears the most fruit in our life. That's where it blesses us the most. But the devil does everything he can to stop us from doing that. But knowing is half the battle, right? So there's seven, seven steps in order to create a discipline in your life, in order to really implement it and make it part of your daily walk, okay? So number one, establish a strategy. Number one is establish a strategy. In other words, plan a time or a place every day where you're going to do this. So, for example, you, you brush your teeth every day. You eat every day. You get dressed every day. Well, there's a time and a place for doing these things, right? It's a daily habit. It's part of your day. You don't even think about it anymore. You just do it. Well, it has to become that. So... In order to become that, there has to be a place in your apartment, in your house, wherever you live, 
that you're going to be like, this is where I do this. This is my spot to do this. A quiet place, preferably, because these are, are quiet disciplines. Well, <laughs> decreeing, declaring, you're going to see maybe not so much. But the point is you want to be on your own, preferably, to do these things, unless you decide to do it as a couple with your wife or husband, that's fine. But you want to have a plan to implement this in your life. Number two, you realize, understand that behavior is a choice. Behavior is a choice. So when you want to develop a new habit, it's not just a question of saying, I'm going to start doing such and such. You have to replace an old habit. And the example I gave you in the beginning was pretty good. For example, if you watch too much TV every day or waste too much time on Facebook every day, you could say, I'm going to cut Facebook or cut TV in half and take that half of that time to develop these disciplines, to, to consecrate the time I used to do in such and such an activity. And I'm going to switch it and move it to this and such and such activity. So you're replacing a bad habit with a good habit. Number three, bite size habits at first. And what do I mean by that? Well, I, I know some uh, believers or, or people who, when they, they hear a teaching like this, they're going to go like all gung ho and be like, all right, yes, tomorrow I'm going to pray. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to pray for two hours. I'm going to study my Bible for two hours. Uh, you know, I'm going to get up. I'm going to reserve two a two-hour block to do just that. I'm going to decree. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray for two hours. You know what? My advice to you, start with 20 minutes. And I know it sounds a little trite to say that, but the same, if you want to develop a habit, you don't want to discourage yourself from the get-go. Uh, oftentimes, I told my wife this. She she wanted to she would want to develop a a habit of, of uh, workout and she'd be like, uh, I'm going to do half an hour. I was like, you sure you want to do half an hour? Uh, you know, she'd had her babies and, and she hadn't been on a treadmill for a while. And it's like, don't you find it's a little hard to, to start right away with 30 minutes? Why don't you start with 10? And she'd be like, no, 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 nonsense. All my workouts I used to do was <laughs> when I was younger, there were at least half an hour to an hour long. So I can, do, I can handle half an hour. Well, guess what? She would do it one day, two days, three days, and then Next thing you know, skip a day, skip another day, and it's over. Why? The bite was too big. It's not because Liz is lazy. I mean, she's a very hard worker. The point is the bites were too big. And it's the same thing in anything. It doesn't have to do ju just with workouts, not just with the discipline that we're talking about, disciplines, plural, we're talking about today. Take bite sizes. For example, take 15. I, I, uh, there's Dutch Sheets. Uh, who has a, a daily video on YouTube, I think it's daily, where he, for 15 minutes, he speaks on a, a certain topic and he teaches the word of God and he encourages people and it's called Take 15. And you know what? I think there's a lot of wisdom in that because if you can make 15 minutes a consistent habit in your life, let's say you do 15 for a year. Well, guess what? Then you can do 20. Because it's a habit now. You can add five minutes. Then you can do 25. Then you can do 30 minutes. Eventually, you can do an hour. The point is, once you make it a habit, which is the hardest thing to implement it in your life as something stable, then you can start adding to it, like make stretching it out, making it longer. 
But the hardest part is making it into that daily consistent habit. So take smaller bites. I was telling my kids this week they were struggling with homework. And Jason, uh, was it Jason? It was Marissa. Marissa, my middle child, she's eight years old, and she was struggling with, with math. And there were two pages that she needed to do that really seemed very challenging. And I said, that, that looks like a lot of work. That looks like a lot of, <laughs> I think there were divisions. I'm not too sure. But uh, I said, you know what? If you look at it, the whole two pages, you're looking at, a, not an, at an elephant. It looks huge. But if you look at just one operation here, just go through one operation, second operation, third operation, just go through each of those one at a time. That's like eating an elephant. The best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Well, I think the best way to develop a habit is one bite size at a time. Number four, identify and resist temptation. And the temptation will be to go back to your default mode. So if, if your default mode was three hours of Netflix and you decided to make it one hour of Netflix, and use the rest of the time constructively, well, your temptation will be to go back to this three hours because when the going gets hard, you want to get back to the comfort zone or the default mode. So you have to identify, you have to know when you're starting my default mode, the thing that I'm trying to replace is, or the bad habit I'm trying to replace is such and such. And knowing that and identifying it, will make it easier for you to not go back to that and be like, I need to replace this because this is just, it's not serving me. It's not serving the Lord. It's not serving my life. I need to replace this bad habit with this good one. So just mentally know what the, uh, the temptation, what the default mode is. Number five, have an accountability partner. It sounds very simple, uh, but just having someone with, if preferably that you decide on, the, on, on doing it together, that's even better. But if, if the person's already doing it, then that person could be your accountability partner who, who will call you maybe once a week, ask you how it's going. If you're if you're married, that's even better. Uh, you can ask your spouse. Either the spouse will be doing the, the discipline thing with you, the new habit creation with you, or maybe the spouse is more advanced in that area and uh, they'll just keep you accountable. But it's good to have someone with whom you share your progress, with whom you share your struggles, your challenges. They can pray for you. Uh, you want someone godly godly for this, obviously, because the, the habits we're talking about are godly habits. So you don't want to don't go to a non-believer to, to keep you accountable for reading your Bible or praying. That would be nonsense. You need someone who's in the body of Christ who can keep you accountable on these things. Number six, enable the discipline, the discipline through environment tweaks. OK, enable the discipline through environment tweaks tweaks. What do I mean by that? Very simple. If you decide you're going to read your Bible every day for a certain amount of time, well, make your Bible easily accessible. Don't hide it under a pile of books. Don't make it, make it visually always there, like something that you, you will see in your environment, something that becomes part of your environment. There was a man who once joked, he said uh, that every night when he went to bed, he would take off his, uh, his slippers and push them under the bed. Just push them under the bed. He said, that way, every morning, I needed to kneel 
in order to go get my slippers under the bed. And once I knelt, I was in that position where I was reminded that I needed to pray before I start my day. Now, in other words, try to do everything you can with your environment to bring you to that place where you're in a good place where you can work the habit. So whether if it's to have your Bible in a place where you're going to see it all the time, do that. If it's pushing your slippers under the bed, do that. But whatever it is that you're going to tweak in your living area in order to remind you of that habit, if it's, for example, if and it could also be the, the bad habit that you're going to take away. For example, if the TV remote is too easily accessible, maybe make the TV remote harder to reach so that every time you reach for it, you're reminded that maybe you shouldn't be doing that because you want to replace the bad habits with good ones. So uh, environment tweaks help a lot. Number seven, and this one is the most important, keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind. Why are you doing this? Well, why would you want to read the Bible and study it? Pray and intercede more. Decree and declare. I mean, obviously, your why, and, and I don't have your specific why because I don't know who you are and, and where the Lord is leading you, but and the general why is very simple. It's to grow and to align with God in fulfilling your purpose on the earth. And if that's not a big enough why, I don't know what is. I mean, seriously, there is no bigger why than that. So keep the end in mind. Why am I doing this? Why am I disciplining? Why am I? Because you're carrying your cross. The discipline is something that can be painful. Discipline can be painful. Ask any Olympic athlete when they're training, if there is pain involved, they will confirm to you that there is great pain involved, but there is a great prize involved as well. Paul said we should run in such a way as to win the prize. Well, the end in mind is that. It's winning the prize. It's hearing someday in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We all want to hear this. Everybody says they want to hear this, but we don't all do what needs to be done in order for us to hear this. And so these three habits that we spoke about today, Satan will fight you tooth and nail for it. I mean, he he's not, these are the three things that he doesn't want believers to do. Believe me when I say this. Okay. So you knowing this, you know, that if he's going to fight you that hard, it's because there's a huge price. There's a huge reward. And it's not just about the price and reward, but it's about what you're going to be, how you, God is going to be able to use you if you make these three disciplines part of your daily routine, your daily life. It's going to be amazing. It's going to transform your life. Read all the great biographies of great believers from times past. They all have these disciplines down. They were men and women of prayer. They were men and women of the word. They were people of sacrifice. They were people who carried their cross. They were people who were able to hate their, their own lives and love Jesus Christ above all things. And that is why they had they bore great fruit. They bore a great testimony and they were kingdom expanders.
And that is why today you and me, we look back on these people and we're like, wow, how did such and such a man, such a woman do this and do that for the Lord and for the kingdom of God? Well, discipline, discipline, sacrifice. They, they got it done. They did it. They did whatever it took to not be derailed from those three powerful habits. And trust me, the devil will do everything to derail you from them. And I hope what I taught you tonight is going to help you to make those three habits a priority in your life. Because I know that if you make those three habits a priority in your life, you're going to become a world changer for Jesus Christ. And that's what matters in the end. That's what's going to get you those words of affirmation from the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. I hope this has blessed you. If this teaching has blessed you, make sure you share it, uh, whatever platform you're on. And uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, if you're listening on podcast. And also, I would urge you to go to thrivingonpurpose.com and subscribe to our mailing list. We know with all the censorship going on Facebook and all the social media platforms, uh, it's not a guarantee that we're going to be there tomorrow. So if you want to keep in touch with us, if you want us to uh, send you uh, important information and materials about our ministry, then uh, make sure you subscribe uh, at the website at thrivingonpurpose.com. Have a great week and God bless you. Be blessed and thrive on.